Church, if you have your Bibles, open them to the book of John, chapter 20. So as you know, we've been going through a four-part series titled Tracing Jesus in the book of John. The first was Jesus is God. The second, the signs of Jesus. And today's title is the death of Jesus. Raise your hand if you think you know what next Sunday's going to be about. Raise your hand. That's what I'm talking about. All my kids know. Yeah, and so next week I'm going to stay up here and I'm going to say he is risen. And then you guys are going to say he is risen indeed. But let's practice. So I'm going to say he is risen. And with your most boisterous voice you're going to say he is risen indeed. He is risen Yes, so that's what we do traditionally on Easter morning. That's what we're going to do next week. I'm excited. Remember, we have that pancake and sausage breakfast. So if you have a neighbor that you maybe want to invite to that, that would be a great time. Say, hey, bring all your kids and come eat breakfast and then take them to your Sunday school. Take the kids to their Sunday school class and then bring them in here, and they're going to hear that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He is risen. Can I get an amen? amen? That's what I'm talking about. I love it. I love when you guys talk. All right, here we go. We want to look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, because we want it concrete in our mind why this book has been written. So let us look at it once again. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So if you are discipling someone, if you thought, okay, this is a new believer. A great book to take them through is the book of John because the whole reason John is written is to prove that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Savior. And so when we're evangelizing someone or we're discipling someone, we want them to be convinced that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for their sins and that he rose again on the third day. Look at John chapter 2, verse 13. We saw this last week where Jesus comes in and he turns the tables over. But the big thing that I want us to focus on is verse, starting in verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So he turned the tables over and he said, you know, he, he, he got everyone out, uh, said, you know, you don't turn my father's house into a house of trade. And so they said, what sign are you able to do these things? Now, remember the book of John was written... So all these signs were given so that Jesus is the Christ. Now, the thing that we're going to focus on is the sign that Jesus gave. Look at verse 19. He says, Jesus answered them in their question, what sign do you show us? Destroy this temple, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And what Jesus was saying was, is that I'm going to be put to death, but on the third day I'm going to rise again from the dead. So he said, destroy this temple. So what we're going to look at today is the destruction of the temple that Jesus was talking about, which is the crucifixion, the crucifixion. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 18, John 18. 
We're going to start it in the garden. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron, where he where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So here's the picture. There's Jesus. He's in this garden, and now everyone, all these guys are coming with Torches, weapons, verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus know all that would happen to him? Was he surprised? We'd established two weeks ago that Jesus is God. Why were these signs given? So we'll be convinced. He even said, destroy this temple. This is all part of the plan so that you, by believing in the name of Jesus, can be with him forever. This is part of the plan. But nonetheless, let's look at the love that our Savior has towards us to be able to go through such destruction. Look at this. It says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now listen, in your heart, think about this. If you were there and you loved Jesus, would you pull out your sword and be like, you know what, I'm going to defend Jesus. Because here's the thing. There are some religions that are called honor religions. In fact, if you insult their person, you are called to go exact vengeance and, and restore that person's honor. Hmm. Our God can take care of himself. He doesn't need us to take out our sword and start chopping people. Peter got a lesson here. Because remember, Jesus is God. Jesus is in control. This is all part of the plan. So you think about this. Everything that's going on in this world, you know, you're not like, oh, man, what's going to happen? I need to pull out my sword. Jesus is saying, listen, put your sword away. Look what he says. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? Verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So now the Savior of the world, the one who's out of absolute control, allows his little tiny creation to bind him and take him away. You talk about humility. 
You talk about the example of the Savior of the world allowing himself to be humiliated. And you think, why in the world would he do that? Well, you know why he would do that. Because this is the plan. This is a plan. Now look at chapter 19 of John. Chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. I mean, think about that. Now, the Savior of the world is getting flogged, verse 2. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So start to let this story unfold in your mind where the Savior of the world is being mocked by men. Verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Isn't that amazing? Pilate is saying, listen, I, I find no guilt in this man. Here's the thing. Saints, it is very, very important that you establish the fact with a non-believer that Jesus is God and that he never sins. Even Pilate is saying, I find no guilt in him. Now here's the question. Does that matter? Does that mean that now God's plan is thwarted? Jesus will not be crucified. No, no, no. The Bible says this. Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. He knew what was going to happen. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? I mean, think about this. Pilate is, an, is, is, is this guy with power. And he's saying this, you aren't going to speak to me. You're going to disrespect me. Do you know who I am? Do you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Do you know that I am in control? I mean, think about all the politicians today. Don't you know that I'm in control? Imagine you're sitting there. Don't you know that I'm in control? Man, you better think back to verse 11. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Saint, nothing can happen to you unless the Lord allows it to happen to you. Nothing can happen to you unless the Lord allows it to happen to you. Does not mean he caused it, but it means he allowed it. If he didn't allow it, then it he means he's not sovereign, he's not in control. Our God is in control. So you got to think, man, no matter what I'm going through, he, he's allowed this. He's allowed it. And we've already established the fact that some of what people are going through in this room, we wouldn't allow. We'd say, no, 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 no. We, we don't want that. But you got to think, God is in control. We saw last week how Sherry's dad goes and dies and is, is, 
is, is, is led to the presence of the Lord, death. And some of us would say, no, let's give a couple more weeks, a couple more months, a couple more years. No, 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 let's, we want him to be with us. We like Tom. We love Tom. We want him here. We want to see him on his tractor. No, no, we're going to give him a few more years. But guess what? God knew that there was going to be a little boy at that funeral. My son. And he receives Jesus as Lord and Savior at a funeral. Because God knew exactly what was going to happen. His timing is perfect, saint. He's in control. And so when Pilate says, don't you know who I am? And in, in the people in your life, they say, don't you know who I am? You say, listen, I know who God is. So no matter what you go through, no matter what your kids go through, you have a confidence that your God knows and he's in control and he loves you. He's got a plan. Saying you could leave here feeling like, man, no matter what I go through, my God loves me. He's got a plan. He's in control. Therefore he, deliver, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. That's the rest of what Jesus said. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Think about this. Jesus didn't kowtow like, oh, you know, I, he told Pilate how it was going to be. And Pilate said, oh, man, I got I to gotta find a way to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this, man, release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So think about this. Pilate is like, do I choose my career or do I think, wait a minute, there's something special about this man. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered. So the big guy, the religious man, the one that's in charge says this. He cries out, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. Verse 20. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near to the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write this, the king of the Jews. But rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier. Also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill scripture, which says, 
they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. Many Mary and the wife, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and his disciples, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciples, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was, in, all was now finished, and said, So fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. So you think about this. You think about just a short time before, imagine that you're in the crowd. And you have one of those palm branches and you're waving it. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, and you see him coming in and you think, man, that is just great. There's Jesus, the king. And then the poison of the, the Pharisees starts to turn the crowd and their vileness just spews out. Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested. He's flogged, he's bleeding down his back and he's being mocked. They put a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and he's bleeding He's being struck, and now the crowd starts to yell, crucify, crucify. And then there you are yelling, crucify. Crucify him. You're whipped up with this hatred. Something has happened. You're yelling, crucify. Sometimes saying we, we think that we wouldn't betray Christ. But think about it. Peter saw all these amazing things, and he betrayed Christ. We think that, man, we would just yell Hosanna, and then we would be totally against everything else. But I would rather this. Let's paint ourselves in the worst possible picture that we were the ones yelling, crucify. And so there we look up at a cross where Jesus has been nailed, his hands and his feet, and he has to bring his back up against a Wooden beam, open flesh, and the splinters would penetrate his back just so he could get a breath of air, and then he lets it out. And as you sit there, something starts to happen in your heart. You start to think, I was just yelling, Hosanna, and then I was yelling, Crucify, and your heart starts to change, and you start thinking, maybe this really was the Son of God. This deep, Depression feeling just starts overwhelming you and you feel the weight of the world on you as you look up and you see Jesus dying and you think, what happened? What was in me that would cry out, crucify to this man? What did he do? You ask your, your wife, what was it that he did? Why were we yelling crucify? The Bible says this, Saint, there is none of us good, no, not one. We've all sinned. We all deserve to go to a place called hell forever. 
because of the wickedness that is in us, we would have been yelling, crucify. And Jesus knows that. And yet he still went to the cross. He knows what's in the heart of man. But he has a love for his creation and he wants to show you his glory. He wants to demonstrate to you the level of his love. We're putting Jesus on display. John 19, 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices and is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So imagine this. Here we are in the story. Jesus is taken down. Imagine that you're one of those people that started to have their heart changed and you thought there must be something different about this. And now you're in just confusion state. You think, man, this is the one that, that actually healed my uncle. Or you maybe took that bread that he had made. Maybe you tasted some of that fish. And you start thinking back, wait a minute. I remember the signs that he did. He healed people. And now you're confused and you think, wait a minute, but he's dead? And they lay him in a tomb. They close this big rock and they seal the tomb. And now your world is shattered. You do not understand the darkness that you feel. You're confused and you're scared. John chapter 10, verse 16 through 18 says this. Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Saint, I hope that you're convinced that Jesus loves you. I hope that you're convinced that this had to happen. And I hope that you're convinced that Jesus is God and that the signs point that he's the Savior of the world and that by believing his name you will have life. I hope you believe that. I hope your life reflects that. Now I will say this. This is the, this is the low point. I cannot wait for next Sunday. 
You know what's going to happen next Sunday. But here's the thing. I can't wait till next Sunday if you don't know Christ. Next Sunday, what you're going to learn is that Jesus was in the the tomb three days. The Bible said that he would be raised from the dead, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then that deep feeling of maybe you were at the cross and you saw Jesus crucified and you yelled, crucify, when you came in contact with the Savior of the world, the risen Jesus, you were convinced by the sign of the temple being raised up that Jesus is the Christ. And so, saying, if you don't know how much Jesus loves you, I hope that you're convinced of how much Jesus loves you. And if you don't know Jesus at all, I will say this. The Bible teaches that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus died for our sins, and he rose again on the third day, demonstrating that he has the power over sin and death. Saying this is a very scary world. For the non-believer. To walk around knowing that it could be your last day here on earth. And that you will have to give an account for everything that you've done wrong. I hope that you're convinced that you don't want to do that. Here's what the Bible says. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If everyone can close their eyes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you words and you would pray those words to the Lord. Now, God knows your heart. You're not praying to me. I'm just a man. But I represent the King. And so you pray these words to God. And you say, Lord, help me to meet him. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior in your heart, say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. I believe that I've sinned and done bad things. But I am convinced that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again on the third day. I give you my life. Please forgive me for all my sins. And fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you'll stand with me. This is our time of invitation. This is me inviting you to just worship the Lord where you're at. You're just going to worship him. Think, you know what, man?